What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguirre. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny, enough, and I'll tell you why. That's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Noguero. And Bill, you wanted to give a shout out to a, a special listener, right? Yeah. Kate Robinson of Elizabethtown, Kentucky, listens to us in the office while she works at night. And she says that Death Row Diaries makes her time go by. So a shout out to her and thank you. And please keep listening. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, thank you, Kate. Tell your friends if you haven't already. And to all our listeners, make sure and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Death Row Diaries. And please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It takes a few minutes. You can tell us the show sucks. It doesn't matter. We just need the actual ratings for reasons I don't understand. Anyway. Bill, this is an interesting case we're going to talk about that happened in a California prison where this guy, if you're listening, well, you are listening, but as you're listening, just Google this guy whose name is Jamie Osuna because his appearance is pretty central to this whole story, right? Yeah, uh... I don't know if you've been watching too many Dark Knight movies or what this guy's trip is, but they call him the Joker. And he kind of believes that he is the Joker. Um, and he pulls off a stunt that, I mean, shocks. This is a pretty shocking case that uh, just blew the minds of law enforcement and anybody that deals with uh, crime scenes. And we're going to get into this guy right now and what he did that caused everyone to really take a second look at what happens in these cells. And as I've mentioned to Matt over the past, you know, several months, uh, prison is a bad place. It's hazardous to your health. And this is a perfect example of that situation. I'm not that old, but I remember as a small child, the Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson Batman movie, which was really good, and I, I loved the Jack Nicholson Joker character, and then there were a bunch of terrible ones, but I think this guy's actually going for the Heath Ledger Joker specifically. Uh, he's kind of just a bad actor. Yeah, this guy, yeah, he even uses some of the, uh, I guess, the cliches or the, the words that Heath Ledger used, and we'll talk about what he did to this guy that kind of uh, pushes the line of why so serious. And that was one of the lines that Heath Ledger had playing the Joker. 
Um, and this guy, Azuna, kind of lives that out on this particular victim that he had. So he is a relatively young guy, and he's sent to prison. Do you know why he's in prison in the first place before this other incident takes place? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jimmy Zuna was convicted of the murder and torture of Yvette Pena. She's a mother of six, and he killed her in a motel room. Um, you know, he's, he was awaiting trial for almost six years in the county jail. And, um, you know, he was full of antics the whole time that he was there. You know, he took the time to keep putting tattoos on his face, uh, the choker eyes, and, you know, a bunch of stuff all over his face to make himself more and more look like his character. So during this trial for, or the beginnings of a trial, pre-trial, for the murder of Yvette Pena, this guy is really looking for publicity. He wants to talk to the media. His lawyers are trying to stop it. But he's invited a, a film crew into the courtroom. He's invited reporters. And he actually has interviews with, poli with the uh, media uh, prior to his trial. And he goes as far as telling the reporters, well, you know I did it. It's clear what I did. So this is prior to his first trial. Let me call back. Hey, man. Hi. So I'm not trying to minimize his crime at all, but I would kind of think it would be hard for someone who committed one murder to even have a film crew come to visit them. Is it obviously that they just are interested in his appearance? Well, that's part of it, but, you know, reporters routinely send letters to guys awaiting trials for murder, for horrible crimes, hoping to get an interview. 99% of the time, the defendant says, absolutely not, because his lawyer tell him, don't open your mouth. This guy is the opposite. As soon as he gets notice from a reporter they want to speak to him, he is all about it. You know, he tells the reporter, and I'm quoting what he says, it's a rush to kill. I'm self-made, and I'm proud of it. So he, from the very beginning, he has this, you know, feeling that he is bigger than life. He wants camera crews in there, kind of like Richard Ramirez, all the antics he did, you know, putting the pentagram on his hand and, and doing all this stuff that got him attention. And that's basically what this guy's doing. So the DA's office pretty much figures out the trial is going to be a circus, and they offer him a deal, which is really not a deal, but they gave him life without the possibility of parole for the murder torture of Yvette Pena, again, a mother of six. And he goes off to prison. And he's there till 2019, and... In that time period, he had sliced another inmate with a razor blade, putting 67 stitches on him. This guy has never had a celly before, meaning he's not housed in a cell with another person until Luis Romero comes into the picture two days prior to March 9th, 2019. Now, remember, on... Uh, March the 7th, when he did drive up into his cell, 
That's Jamin Zuna's birthday. He's born on March the 7th, 1988, which is a little sad because I've been in prison longer than that guy was alive. So I digress. So yeah, he's only in the cell two days before this incident takes place. So can we clarify something real quick? He was in jail for six years awaiting trial. First of all, that shouldn't happen. We don't really care about this guy, but let's say you're potentially innocent. That is a serious problem, but again, we don't want to digress. But what was his situation like in jail? Because you said this is the first time he had a cellmate. So what was he? what was his setup? before he went uh, and had the cellmate? Well, obviously there are issues. So the CCR classifies people and they have cellies because they can get along with somebody. They've shown uh, ability to socialize with people. And this guy obviously was showing signs that he wasn't going to get along. He did slice up another guy um, that they tried to put in a cell prior to this. So, I mean, the big red sign was, hey, don't don't make a, this guy into someone's celly because there's going to be a problem. And he is mentally unstable. There is no doubt about that. I'm sure that the uh, the prison system knew this. So the reason, reason, the reason that he didn't uh-huh. have a cellmate is that he uh, sliced up his previous cellmate, right? Yeah, there was an incident, and I'm not sure if the guy was actually in cellmate or not, but there was an incident where he used a, a makeshift razor blade and sliced this guy up really badly. 67 stitches is a lot of stitches. Um, so he did a number on the guy, and he sliced his face up and everything, and from what I understand, the um, the guy that was the, his victim um, really had no idea why he did it. There wasn't a confrontation or anything of that sort. Wow. So he is a dangerous guy. And, you know, I I think, like yourself, I don't really care if a guy has tattoos on his face. That means nothing to me. But he's sort of backing up the scary persona with actions. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's kind of a a gray area. Yeah, look, obviously he's a dangerous guy. And if you turn your back on him, he's going to do some damage. He's not a big guy. He's five foot six hundred and thirty pounds. He's a little guy. But as I said before, it doesn't matter the, the size of the package. It's when it blows up what really happens. And um, although he's dangerous, this guy's not really respected. And we'll get into why that is. Um, but as I said, he has mental issues, and that's a huge problem with convicts. Guys that have mental issues. They have no control of their of their actions that they're they're moved to do things because of psychological reasons this is a huge problem again it almost borderlines that whole serial killer thing of sexual gratification or psychological gratification this guy falls under that category although he did not uh, you know kill 50 people 30 people or whatever and didn't do it uh, on the streets and, and he's not considered a serial killer but as we'll talk about now the circumstances of what he did are so vile and so disturbing that any God honest criminal or convict would be offended by it. So I guess this is the whole million dollar question, but 
how how crazy is he i don't know is he aware of what he's doing because he he's obviously very aware of it he's bragging about it so i'm just i have a hard time processing usually you know the whole thing about insanity is like is this person aware of their actions or not and this guy is like meta aware of his actions yeah, his interaction with media and his attention getting, yeah, he's a narcissist, he's egotistical, all those things. Does he make it you know, insane or crazy? I don't know. But I can tell you that he knows what he's doing is wrong. And he's doing it anyways. So, I mean, let's talk about this guy, what he did, because I'm sure the listeners are going like, okay, so what did this guy do? Right. So he's sent to this new prison in Corcoran, is that correct? Yes, Corcoran is a California prison. And he's put into a cell with another guy. Yeah, he will actually, the other guy, Romero, is put in his cell on March the 7th. And on the evening of March the 9th, 2019, um, by all accounts, they... The staff members, the correctional officers, they check on people in their cells. Um, they make their walks, they check, they make sure they're alive, and they keep going. Now, this is not a lockup unit, meaning it's not the whole, it's not ad segregation, it's not death row. On death row, you're in a cell by yourself. And if you're in the hole, you're in a cell by yourself. You don't have a celly. So obviously, this was not a lockup unit. And what that means is that, well, in California prisons, every 30 minutes, at the 15 and the 45, there is a wellness check. If you're in a security housing unit like I am right now, every half an hour, an officer walks by and he looks at me and makes, makes sure that I'm alive. Now, there have been issues about officers waking people up at night and they're not getting enough sleep deprivation, but that's not here though there. In this situation, since he's not in a lockup unit, the, I guess, wellness checks are sporadic because they're not considered high risk like a person on death row or something in the hole. So they made a check and they seem to be alive, although there happens to be uh, a lawsuit right now where the family of the victim is stating that the papers were forged, that they, they really didn't check on these guys. But I can tell you, Matt, that it doesn't matter how many times they check you. They come here every half an hour. If you want to do something like try to kill yourself or whatever, you can do it. As soon as they walk by, you know you have half an hour. It's plenty of time for you to do something. So I'm a little, you know, there's a lot of skepticism when I hear people say, well, they didn't check on these prisoners enough. It's impossible to keep your eye on someone 24-7. There's not enough staff members, so it's impossible. It's actually, it is impossible. So... What happened is that this guy, Zuna, he made a knife from a razor blade, and he attacked Romero. Uh, the circumstances, how it happened, no one actually knows what happened during this time. We know what the end result was. So if you don't mind, by me being in a cell as long as I've been in and knowing how people act in prison, I can pretty much tell you what happened that night. And it's not a nice picture. 
Yeah, that's what we need to know. So just quick background. Romero was a gang member. He was involved in a shooting. I believe he shot someone in Compton. He's a Mexican gangbanger, right? So he was nearing parole. So I'm I'm not condoning anything about his life or anything, but obviously these are two very different people. So let's say to give him the benefit of the doubt, he's going to get out on parole and make a life for himself. What is he thinking when this dude walks into his cell? Well, you're not thinking a whole lot. A lot of people in prison have tattoos on their face, and that isn't the biggest problem. It's how he acts. I'm always watching for signs, mental illness, you know, what type of guy is it? Does he have a problem with how I look, how dangerous? I'm, I'm assessing all these things. I don't know what Romero thought, but of course, this guy's face being full tattoos, eh, been there, done that. We've seen a lot of guys that not that big of a deal. Romero's been in prison for many years. I believe it's over 25 years. So he understands the system. Because that's true, and because Romero is a former gang member or was a gang member, he's probably, you know, a threat, a physical threat. So what I'm thinking is Azuna waited for him to go to sleep or was in a vulnerable position where he could strike when he was not conscious. And that's usually how it happens. Once you hit a striking blow or a death blow, it's very difficult to completely recuperate from that if the guy who's doing it is small and he's on top of you and he's cutting you up. That's not a pretty picture. But Azuna waited for the opportunity and when he saw it, he seized it. So do you think Asuna, when he walks into the cell, I'm assuming Romero is a somewhat intimidating guy. He's like a hardened convict, gang banger guy. What Do you think Asuna was doing his little Joker mannerisms? That, or do you think he just started doing that for the media? Yeah, it's hard to tell, but I'm, I'm sure he's doing it for the media. I mean, look, he's not acting like this in the cell. Because if someone's acting like that in the cell, at least in front of me, I'm not closing my eyes. And we're not going to sleep in that same room together. It's just not going to happen. And I'm sure that Romero would have said the same thing. Uh, he kept those things under wraps. Obviously, he had a weapon. It was under wraps. He didn't show the other guy the weapon. The those guys are not in the cell at the same time all the time. The cells are open at, say, 8 o'clock or 7.30 in the morning. They go to breakfast. Then one of them goes to his job. The other one goes to the yard. They are probably in that cell only when they're sleeping. So there's plenty of time for someone to do something, make a knife, prepare himself in between that time. And usually cellies do that. If they have a working relationship, they say, hey, like you and I, Matt, I'd say, look, hey, Matt, look, I need some private time. How about you get a job at night and I'll get one during the day. So when I'm in the cell, I have some hours for my privacy. And then when you come back, you have some time for your privacy. And if you don't have a job, how about you go to yard during the daytime or I'll go to yard at nighttime or whatever. There's a mutual respect usually. And usually you pick your cellie. The California Department of Corrections allows people to pick their cellies because of cap uh, compatibility. You want to make sure you're in a cell with someone you understand and someone that has maybe a mutual respect. I suspect that didn't happen in this situation. Let me call back. 
So suffice to say, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, but I'm guessing Romero within the first two seconds is like, oh, why this guy? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm picturing someone that goes to college and they assign you a, a dorm roommate and the guy walks in and he just smells like terrible BO and you're just like, really? Like, what, what did I do to deserve this? Yeah, it's very possible, but as I said, a lot of guys in prison have tattoos. It's not one of those things that really bothers well, me. I, I, there's a lot of guys in my yard that have face tattoos, and most of them are very much, well, their whole face is covered. It doesn't really bother me. Well, just, so I'm, I'm, I'm picturing more that you can just pick up that he's a creep right away. And I, and I guess you could say Romero's, I wouldn't call him a creep so much as maybe a bad guy, but like this guy's a, a different type of thing. You would think so, but then again, you would think that serial killers, you could spot them a mile away, and you can't, and they're all deranged. So, yeah, it's a hard one to call because we weren't there. We don't know. I'd have to know Osuna personally, and I could tell you, like, yeah, this guy's a creep. But nevertheless, they were in that cell together at night when this attack happens. And as I said before, no one knows how, how long it took to happen or what was going on in the cell. But when they found the victim, it was really not a nice, well, scene. The official uh, viewpoint of the investigating officers saw everything that was going on with. They found, first of all, Romero was deceased. He was dead. But the state of his corpse is what the issue is here. One of his eyes was cut out. One of his fingers was cut off. His torso was opened up. His parts of his ribs were removed. Parts of his lungs were sliced out. His head was cut off. And the sides of his mouth were cut open very similar to how the Joker in the Dark Knight appeared and the whole phrase why so serious he explains his father cut his mouth open that's what is alleged that happened in that cell and what the, the state of the face of the victim was that Azuna actually cut his mouth open so he had a bigger smile and on top of that they find Azuna covered in blood, and he has a necklace made of body parts around his neck. So not a nice scene. I did make a pan of lasagna last night from scratch, and I believe I'm going to throw it in the garbage. Um, so I guess what I can surmise here, legally speaking or protocol speaking, he, I guess, had half an hour to do this so he must have disarmed Romero pretty quickly because I guess he didn't fight back well yeah you would think so but he didn't have just half an hour because remember he was not in a lockup unit so those half an hour wellness checks don't happen oh. they come by every once in a while it could have taken a couple hours for them to come back by because these guys are supposed to be asleep and supposed to be in a normal setting. I so see. he had plenty of time to do it. 
But yes, you're absolutely correct. You have to disarm someone fairly quickly because if you don't, he could run and hit the door and yell. And these doors, by the way, are um, the newer type of cells where the door is a solid door with a long slit of, um, of glass where you can look inside. So the scuffle probably was not heard unless someone was standing right in front of the door. But if he did get up, he could hit the door many times and draw attention. So this guy, Zuna, pretty much once he attacked, he didn't let up till the guy was unconscious. And from, from what I understand, uh, Romero was alive during a lot of his torture. So Azuna was relishing in this. He, this is something he liked to do or something he felt compelled to do. And he has mental issues. This guy's not a normal guy. He is pretty much um, a sick guy. So a few questions now. I did not know that a glass cell was a thing. When you said that, I actually thought that they invented that for the uh, Hannibal Lecter movies. So I, I'm curious about that. I'm picturing bars as I'm assuming. I'm assuming our, our listeners are smarter than I am, but I'm just picturing bars. And uh, I'm also curious about the about the razor blade, how, how that becomes a knife. Okay. So first of all, my cell, I'm in an older prison. I have cell bars. There's solid walls on both, on all three sides, but the front of my cell happens cell bars and a steel mesh across it so it'd make it very difficult for me to spear somebody coming by this is a specialized house unit for death row the cell that he was in was at corcoran prison which is a newer prison and the newer prisons come as 180s or 270s for the style of building those cells are solid cells the front of the door is solid but there is a glass slit so you can look inside. The, the, the cell is not glass in itself. It's, it's a regular cell, but the front of it is covered by a solid steel door, and it has a large, maybe 36-inch by 5-inch slit where an officer can look inside and see both occupants and then continue with his walk. I see. So using my imagination, and again, what I've seen in movies, I think it's probably fairly easy to conceal a razor blade, right? You could put it in your hair or under, underneath your tongue. Yeah, they, they're not very difficult. And I think, you know, I've talked about this before. Look, I would be insulted if someone cuts me with a razor blade. When I first came in the system, child molesters and snitches were the only ones that were cut with a razor blade. Any uh, God-honest criminal or convict wanted someone to take time to make a real knife and stab him. I mean, that sounds crazy, but that's the respect you give another convict is you make a real knife and you kill him. This right here is a whole different ball game of people. This guy used a makeshift razor blade, which he could have got from the razor he shaves with, and they're pretty sharp. You get two or three of them. You line them up on a melted um, toothbrush, and they're very sturdy. Now you have a blade is probably between five, four and a half and five inches long that if you put them against someone's neck, you can actually cut someone's head off. You know, I don't personally, and I'm not trying to make light of the situation. I don't use a razor blade. I don't like the idea of having a razor on my skin. I have an electric razor and it works really well. 
has this been brought up? Maybe you just don't have any razor blades in prison. Well, it depends again on the whole trust factor on death row. I cannot have a razor blade or razor myself to shave with. I can have an electric razor like you have, Matt, but if I choose to use a razor to shave with a real razor, like a pick, I have to go to the shower, the correctional officer will hand it to me. It's marked with my name, my number. And once I use it, I return it to him. And then he looks at the blades to make sure the blades are there. And he puts them back in the box and seals the box, which is a like a large box with a bunch of razors. Probably not the most um, hygiene safe place because, you know, hepatitis, AIDS can be transferred. The wrong razor, this is the wrong guy. But these are safety razors. The razor itself are so small that you'd be hard-pressed to do a whole lot of damage. You could probably cut some skin but not really go deep. The razor this guy probably had is a razor he bought at the store that was his razor. It was an actual uh, you know, multi-blade razor that you would buy at Save-On or whatever store you buy from. I'm sure I'm probably naming a store that's probably been extinct for freaking 35 years because I've been gone so long. Well, Home Depot, whatever. You know, you get a box of them for a dollar, right? Yeah, so it's one of those things, and you can actually get a pretty good razor blade out of that, and it can do a lot of damage. So, And it's very easy to hide because it's flat until you actually make the weapon. So, yeah, not hard to, uh, to hide and very deadly, and the consequences can be severe as we know with this situation. So I'm just, I guess I'm in denial. I'm trying to block out the actual events because what you described is like obviously really, really horrifying. I guess I'm at a a loss for words, which is a, a terrible thing to say if you're doing a professional broadcast. But I mean, was this a performance or as you said, was he actually enjoying this or I know you don't know, but what's your inclination? situations and I always look common sense is I let that guy but no person within their right mind cuts up a person cuts up parts of the liver parts of the of the ribs and eye cuts the finger off cuts the head off and then dresses himself up with a necklace made of body parts this that's insane that, that is a person and I don't mean sick like hey we should feel sorry for this guy no this guy is a sick creepy Mickey Vicky that's what this guy is this guy is <sighs> Let's just be straight with it. It's a piece of garbage, okay? This is the kind of guy that comics would want to kill because this guy, he's just, he's vermin. He is a he is a, a worm, and he should be exterminated because he's going to do this again. He's, like, I'm not, I'm not sitting here telling you something that he didn't say himself. He said, I enjoy this, and if I'm allowed to, I'm going to do it again and again and again. So it's, it's not me sitting here... Uh, pointing a finger at this guy. Everything we're talking about, he's admitted himself, and he has said it himself. So much so that a judge now has entered into the situation and has deemed him not competent to stand trial. Now, whether that's changed recently or not, I don't know. But he has some serious issues. And I don't think it's just a performance. Yes, part of it is performance, but he's doing it because the most moving thing that I can 
even fathom is that he likes it. This guy enjoys what he's doing. So I'm assuming what the listeners are thinking. And if you want to go, you know, and, and, uh, put your cowboy hat on and say like, Oh, well, you know, Romero killed a guy. I'm glad he got his liver chopped off and they made a necklace out of him. I, I, I don't know what to say to you, but frankly, that sounds pretty ignorant, but I think what everyone is probably thinking is this shouldn't have happened. Right. Absolutely. It should never have happened. These two guys should never have been in the cell together. One was doing life without the possibility of parole, had mental issues, was obviously something was wrong with him. He couldn't hide that completely from everybody who's been around him. To put Romero, a guy who, yes, look, ladies and gentlemen, he committed a crime, a murder, and he served nearly 25 or to 26 years for that murder. The California Department of Corrections had deemed him eligible for parole. He was going to go home, and he had a family to go out to. For him then to be murdered by some sick son of a gun, yeah, it's, it's not right. It should never have happened. But again, I don't know what could have been done to prevent it completely because with so many people in the prison, overcrowding and all these things going on, they all play a fact. It all plays a factor in this situation. Um, so and how do we guess when one of these guys is going to strike? We don't know. I'm in a situation where I'm in a single cell, but more than likely, very soon, I'm going to be in a situation with, believe me, this thing, the situation happening, I'm going to be screening people very carefully. So we don't know for certain, but I think that you probably have a better perspective than any, anyone I know. If you're comfortable, what do you think happened that night? Yeah, um, I thought about that very carefully. And um, my opinion is that he snuck up on him. That's the best way you can get someone off guard. You know, when people break in your house and they try and kill the people in the house, they don't send out a radio broadcast. They sneak in the house and they catch you when you're sleeping. That's exactly what this guy did. He waited to Romero close his eyes. His breathing became even or suggested he was probably asleep. And using that razor blade, he assaulted him. And he went for vital organs as quickly as they can, a juggler, um, and just began to cut immediately till he subdued him. Um, and then it just became a matter of him doing what he wanted to do. Um, the guy bled out, so he died of a loss of blood. So that tells you right there that the amount of blood that was being sprayed, that was he was losing, was pretty significant. And as he was doing that, he was cutting his face, he was opening his throat. It's, it's a gruesome situation, but ultimately, he began to just for lack of a better word, have fun. That's what this guy was doing. Once he killed him, then he just did whatever he wanted to do, cut an eye out, cut fingers off. I mean, to open someone's internal organs, to open up his stomach area and take out part of a rib, take out the lungs, cut them out, cut the head off. That's a lot of, of 
I don't even think it was anger. He wasn't angry when he was doing this. This sick son of a gun was working. He was enjoying this. And that's the difference between, you know, a guy who kills me is very angry because the guy did something. This is not that situation. This is a guy who isn't angry. He's doing it because he enjoys it. That's a huge difference between the two. And look, the whole cutting off body parts and making a necklace, cutting the head off, that's just pageantry. That's just to make the scene more gory, more attention getting the antics. That's what this is. This guy wants attention. He wants people to talk about this for the next 25 years. Yeah, it's confusing to me because a report I read, who, who the hell knows what it means, but it says that Romero was alive during some of this. Um, frankly, and I could be ignorant, but I just, I don't really understand how you could determine that because what I'm picturing is, you know, blood spraying out of his jugular and he's, you know, he's pretty much gone, but maybe i'm i'm wrong i mean how could someone determine this this part of it when they weren't even paying attention in the first place well the, the coroner makes that determination and they do that because for example uh, a person's asphyxiated and they're being stabbed at the same time if there's a lot of bleeding out he was alive during the time that he was stabbed and so yeah if depending on how much blood was there had had he shot him in the chest and then cut him up to be virtually no blood but because the amount of blood that was spraying everywhere and the, they, you know they took pictures of the spray and uh, you know maybe when the blade was coming down he brought it back up there's uh, significant uh, droplets of blood on, on the ceiling and stuff so they determined that he was alive during the assault and how it was going on I don't believe that he was alive when he was cutting his lungs out and his ribs and cutting his head off and his eye no he wasn't alive he was alive during the initial assault and that's pretty obvious because of the amount of blood that's everywhere. That's what they mean by that. I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. The um... because, because I'm sorry. I was just gonna say because the heart is still pumping. If the heart is pumping, blood is being shot out, so he's alive. All right. So obviously, whatever you think about the criminal justice system, however liberal or conservative your opinions are. This is obviously a problem that probably needs to be addressed, right? Yeah, I'm, as I said, I don't know how much they can do to address this problem. At some point, you have to trust people to live in the same cell together. There's not enough room. We can't pay millions of dollars per each person to make sure they have a babysitter the whole time. I'm kind of a conservative viewpoint, but one based on common sense because of the experience and what I know about the system. There's not a whole lot they can do to stop every one of these guys from doing this. This one happened, unfortunately. I feel bad for the Romero family, for the victim himself. But some of these things happen in prison because there are bad people in prison. Um, and unless you change your whole state of mind to be rehabilitated, um, these things will continue to happen. And there's no way they can weed everybody out perfectly. It's just impossible. And the task is too big. Anyone that believes that this could have completely been prevented, I don't know if that's true. It's very difficult to do that 
when there are so many people in a prison at the same time and you only have so many correctional officers trying to do the best job they can. I, I just find that very difficult to watch people every single moment, 24-7, in their cells, while they're asleep. It's just very difficult. But obviously overcrowding is a problem, and this isn't a scenario where Romero was a, a drug offender or, or something victimless. You know, he was involved in a murder, but the fact is that more and more people are in prison. So the, the overcrowding aspect obviously factors into this. Cause like you said, yeah, you can't provide everyone with millions of dollars to have their own accoutrements and whatnot, but that is a factor in this, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And there's also levels in prison. Remember, um, Corcoran has different levels. There are level five, four, three, two, and one. This normally doesn't happen in level one or two. Those people are, you know, there are people with murders in level two, but they've shown a, a long history of well-adaptability, uh, that they're social, they speak to people, they've been rehabilitated. This guy was in a higher level prison, a 3-4. So you have guys in those level prisons that are not adapted to getting out. They don't care about getting out. They live a prison life and you get more of this type of stuff happening because these guys are violent. They're, they don't want to get in rehabilitation programs. They're not educated. And you really can't force guys to go to school. You can't force them to get jobs. Um, so that's part of the problem too. But always remember the levels. Um, these guys are not on level one or two. They were in a higher level prison where there's a lot of gang members. And yeah, that, I mean, that stuff happens. This isn't the only incident. Now, this is a shocking incident because of what he did after he killed the person. There's two guys in my yard that work out eight feet from me, and they both killed their cellies in other prisons. But they killed them for whatever reason they had. They did not do all this weird stuff, cutting heads off, eyes, making necklaces, because that doesn't fly with convicts. Their, their rule is, if you got to take care of your business, take care of it, but let's not do any weird stuff. I don't make the rules, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just telling you what the rules are. Right. Yeah, you're you're relaying this as as a rational person. <laughs> it's, I'm I'm a little right. bit That's even a laughing matter, huh? <laughs> obviously taken aback by it, but so Asuna goes to court, makes this whole, you know, media spectacle, everyone eats it up, and you know, he loves it. I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh and I know it's a different situation because this was a prison, but what do you think about doing an Epstein episode? Oh, yeah. That would be great. Yeah. So what are the consequences of Asuna doing this? I'm assuming he's obviously got to be moved into a, a, a separate place, right? Yeah, but there really are no consequences. So let me let me really clarify this. He already was doing life without the possibility of parole. That means he was never going to get out. So what's the next phase or next step in a punishment would be death. But look, we all know that doesn't happen because if you give him the death penalty, you're going to give him what he wants. Celebrity, a defense team, multiple investigators, multiple health experts, mental health experts, a single man cell, breakfast in bed. Look, 
the truth of the matter is, there's nothing you can do to him. It's very unfortunate. He already has life without the possibility of parole. They're probably going to give him another murder on top of this. But again, it's a waste of taxpayer dollars. Murder has no statute of limitation. If I were a district attorney, and I hope he's listening to this because he would save millions of dollars to taxpayers, don't do anything. Lock him up, put him in a single man cell. We know what he's going to do to about. And if for some reason his first conviction is overturned, there's a chance he can get out, and then charge him with this thing. And you make sure he never gets out. But I wouldn't spend millions of dollars on a Zuna on another trial there's nothing you can do to him. He's already got. He's already doing the rest of his life in prison without the possibility of parole. What more could you do to the guy unless you're going to reinstate torture? I wonder statistically what the odds are that Romero, you know, had he lived and been paroled, as he would have been, would he have gone back to his neighborhood and got a, a job as a mechanic or however that works? Or would he have just resumed... You know his previous degenerate lifestyle. It's very hard to say, but I will say that the California Department of Corrections parole boards now um, would have to approve his parole, and to do that, he would have had to go through all kinds of rehabilitative programs. Let me call back. So you think these programs are effective at at least weeding out the people that aren't? trying to take it seriously? Well, you know, the California Department of Corrections, um, because Romero had a murder, there would have to be a process for him to get out. When you have 25 years to life or 15 years to life, the life top means that you have to be approved by a parole board. You don't, you don't get like nine years for robbery and at the nine year time, you don't have to go to a parole board. You just walk out of prison because that your time has been served. With a murder, second degree or, or first degree, when you have a life taught, 15 alive, 25 alive, you actually have to go to a parole board and demonstrate over several years that you have been rehabilitated, you've been educated, everything has changed. But even on top of that, there's a safety valve in place and what that means is that once a parole board sees you they go through all the you know the educational part the rehabilitative part and they feel that you are well acclimated to be let out and you will have a productive life on top of that the case is sent to the governor's office because it is a violent crime because it is a murder and the governor on top of that he must sign off on you being released so it's a, very, it's a very difficult situation with many steps. I believe personally that Romero, because he'd gone through all these programs, he'd been in prison for over 25 years, that he would not have gone back to that life. There, he has been educated, he has a family. I believe it would not have been an easy transition. It would not have been an easy transition, but I believe that he would not have committed crimes again, given the fact that he went, had gone through all these rehabilitated, uh, rehabilitated programs and already had a parole date to be let out. All right, well, we'll be back with another story, maybe a more uplifting one. I'm not sure, probably doubtful. But regardless, I appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you guys listening. So, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagura. 
These are death row diaries. Please be aware of your surroundings. Your life could depend on it.